we've been starting this, this series, and we've been going through this idea of our, our church constitution, right? And so Drew's done a great job uh, starting this uh, with the things that he's been talking about with the, the ordinances or the sacraments, depending on who you are, uh, and, and, uh, and those kind of things. Today, what I want to talk to you about is about the church as a whole. Uh, we believe that the church is important. Now, historically, in the Western world at least, uh, churches have been the hubs of the community. If you look over where we first kind of came in uh, from all this and on the shore there, it's very, it's very normal to have the church be almost the center of the community, and for lots of good reasons, right? Uh, they, they had the bell to notify of the different times and things like that. Uh, my mind, uh, because of, of what we do as our family, goes to something like Little House in the Prairie, right, where you have the, the, the church there, and the, the town is kind of centered around that, and, and so it was very much a hub of the community, or it used to be. In recent years, apparently the church has not seemed as, you know, essential, Let's go to God in prayer. God, if you design something, then we know it's good for you are good. Today, Lord, we want to recognize and affirm the goodness of your church. Lord, we confess that we have not always viewed your church as we should. We as a nation actually made the decision that the church was not essential. And we repent for that. Brother, I thank you that here at ABC we have always seen your church as essential. We pray that today as we look at your word which describes your church that you would reaffirm this in our hearts and give us the scriptural standing to make future decisions regarding your bride, the church. Brothers, we pray that you would restore this belief in your people here in America and around the globe Make our hearts long for the glory of your church to shine, for it is yours, a representation of your grace upon this earth until you return. Therefore, help us guard, honor, and cherish your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, perhaps you've heard this little rhyme. Uh, I, don't, I don't know all the hand motions to it, but I know you've probably heard the rhyme. Here's, here's the church. Here's its steeple, right? Open the doors and see all the people. And uh, that's a lot of theology in that, believe it or not. Uh, I know it's a little children's rhyme, but uh, first thing we need to understand about the church is that it, it, is, it is a people. Uh, they're right in that. And so if you're a note taker, um, you have blanks now. I was going through note withdrawals while I was gone, uh, and, and we sat through some services where they had notes. And so, you know, I found... Uh, joy in that. John three sixteen through 18, which I know you're probably familiar, probably everybody already has this memorized, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You see, uh, through Jesus is saving uh, not only individuals, but people. The church is a people of God. That means that as Christians, we are neither independent or autonomous. Rather, we belong to God and the people of God. So we are to submit to God's will. Uh, another uh, verse that I want to read to you is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Do you see it there in the text? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you see this context in here that's kind of a a both and, right? So we tend to say, and it's right, that you need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do. You are not saved through being a member of Allegan Bible Church. You are not saved because your great-grandmother, you know, uh, helped put the mortar in the foundation of the church or whatever. I guess maybe that'd probably be a great-grandfather, but but you get the gist, right? And so it's not about the affiliation of of an organization necessarily. What it is is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely. But then there is not individual and autonomous apart from the body and the people. So he says here, if you're, if you're a note filler outer, I don't want to cause you anxiety. Uh, so you are now God's people, and this is not your home. We see that in the text. You were once not a people, and now you are a people. And then he says, I urge you as sojourners. See, we have problems in this nation out of things like race. We have problems in this nation about just the nation itself. People have concerns over being too nationalistic or patriotic or not patriotic enough. But you understand, I hope you understand, you see here in the text that we are God's possession. If you are in Christ, he owns you. And he says in other places, now there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, that we are all in Christ Jesus. Meaning our identity, although we don't give it up, I'm John, right? And I'm distinct and different from my wife or distinct and different from all of you. And I have my own proclivities and I have my own issues and things like that. And if you spend time with me enough, you'll figure them out, right? but I'm also part of this family. And you're part of it as well. And the other cool thing is, and, and the thing that we get to experience when, when we go to Maranatha on vacation is there's other members of the family there and they don't go to this church. Or we had uh, Philip and, and uh, I always say her name wrong, Bia from Brazil, the missionaries. And they're still part of the people of God. And so we need to understand that we are now God's people and this is not our home. We are sojourners here. That's why I talked about the wonderful idea of adoption. I said, yeah, they found their forever home, but also not really their forever home because their forever home, we pray, is with Christ Jesus in heaven above. Same what we would pray for you, same that I would pray for my own children. And so in Christ, you have been born anew. There's two ways you can be my child in this world, right? You can be my child through birth or through adoption. It's the same with God. Except for for him, we're all adopted. So you are God's people. It is your identity. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as a, as a part of a church. So if you're visiting and, and this is not your church home, understand that this is still your people. For any Bible preaching, Jesus heralding, gospel oriented church, that is. 
there are lots of clubs, okay, that meet on Sunday morning and they, they talk about all kinds of stuff, but a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-inspired, Holy Spirit-driven church is a part of this people. The other part of this is that we are a body. Scripture tells us that Christians should not approach the church as consumers. Many of us do. I myself sometimes is guilty of that. And I know that based on what we talk about after the service, right? Did, did I like the music? Was the temperature okay? Did I, did I think that this was good or was that or whatever? Those are consumer reviews. Do you know that? You might as well just put it on Google. How many stars? But we're not to approach the church as consumers. Now, it's okay if not every church fits you and your personality. Not every preacher is going to be as good as John Piper. I understand that. I hope if you get nothing else out of this, I hope that what you did get out of it is that it is a relationship with Christ that saves him and him alone, him, him crucified, his sacrifice. And so if we're good on that, then hopefully you get something out of it. But not as consumers, but as members of the body. This means that we are to commit to one another, depend on one another, honor one another, care for one another. In all that we do in the church, we should seek to not fulfillment of our own desires, but the, but the common good of the body. Now, this is a big section of text. You probably can't read it because I didn't do a good job of uh, calibrating my slides, but here's the good news. You should have a Bible. Because we live in America, and there you can get them. If you didn't bring one with one with you, you probably have one on your phone, because that's the way we live in America too. And if you don't have one on your phone, there's one in the pew back. Or you can just write this down, and you can check me later if you can't read this. But I'm going to read it. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, we could stop there, but I'm going to go on. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And I wanted to make sure I said that this morning. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So, I will stop there and you can read the rest. But here's my points. Our health depends on one another, and so do our efforts. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm, I hope, if you're, if you're a regular attender or a regular member of this church, I hope that I am very clear, and I hope that this body is very clear in notifying you that just because I am up here doing this does not make me the most important part of this body. In fact, I cannot function properly without the rest of the body. We know this intrinsically when it comes to our health. If I have a liver problem, you may not be able to see the liver problem, but you can see the symptoms and the effects, and we know the outcome of a liver problem. And this goes for any part of the body. I was talking with somebody just recently, and they told me how they had their appendix removed. And that's a bummer, right? Now, apparently that was more useful back in the day instead of now because of the different kinds of foods that we would eat and that kind of stuff, and I, I don't pretend to understand that. But what I do understand is because that piece was removed, there's a scar there. Same with any other thing, like gallbladder surgery or any of these other things. You know? Now that I'm doing woodworking because I have to for the home and I have a brother in Christ who's helping with that, 
I hope to keep all 10 digits. <laughs> it's literally the only way I do math. So I would be at a severe uh, handicap. But it's the same for any other part of the body. And it, the text says things like this. If the foot said, well, because I'm not this, then I'm no less part of the body. And so, brother or sister in Christ, the church is a body. Every single one of you is necessary to the health and the efforts of the body. So I'm the mouth, apparently, right? Sometimes, sometimes to my own detriment. I, I understand that. It's even in Proverbs. The more you speak, the more likely there is to be sin. And I, I'll be the first to testify to it. My wife, the second, I'm sure. But I couldn't do the preaching without the support, either financially or let's be prayerfully. Our church couldn't do the ministries that we're doing. I mean, we could not go to Brazil and trans tr translate. First of all, I, and if you haven't been here for this, here, here's what this, this couple's doing. Uh, it's a tribe that, that does not have a written language. They have a spoken language, and, and everything is passed down auditorily. Yes, there's people groups out there that still exist like that. He's, Philip's working with one. And so they don't have a written language. So what he's doing is he's, he's figuring out their language and, and all the parts that make that up, and he's designing a, a written language for that. Then he has to take that written language, and, and let's be honest, because he's, he's an English guy, he's probably using Latin characters, right? So like Spanish, English, what we would know. He's not coming up with like Chinese writing or something like that, okay? I mean, he's, he, he's using what we would call the alphabet. But then he's going to translate the Bible into their language so that they can understand it. And when he was here, when he shared with us is because of culturally, there's so many differences there that he has got to be very careful how he does the translating so that it actually makes sense to them. And so they're not, so they're actually getting the right thing out of it when they read the Bible. I don't really want to live in Brazil. I mean, I'm sure I would love the weather, but I don't want to live out in the jungle. I don't want to have to fight snakes on the way to the bathroom. I don't enjoy spiders. My wife makes me kill them. And I... But we need the body for our health and we need the body for our efforts. If you don't believe that, then try walking out of here without your legs. Third point. The body is a temple. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a joined together, growing, holy, dwelling place for God. Therefore, every Christian should be a member of a church. Now, that's going to be next week. And we should seek the unity and holiness and growth of the church. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in one sense, we are strangers and sojourners and aliens. We're now strangers, sojourners, and aliens here of this world, and yet at the same time, and this is the interesting part of the already not that kingdom of Christ, so we are strangers and aliens there, but we are not strangers and aliens in the household of God and of the temple of God. So it says that we are now citizens, members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. First Peter also says, 
uh, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we have in the old temple and the new temple. So the old covenant, the old testament, the first one was the tent, right? It was the tent of meeting. And they would have all those things there. And then as they went, you probably know the story, but then uh, King Solomon built the temple that David wanted to, but God said no. And so you have this physical structure. Now, I, I want to encourage you. If you've ever tried to read through the whole Bible, or if you've ever read through the whole Bible, there are sections in the Bible that you get to, we all, we, it happens to all of us, and we think to ourselves, and this seems a little boring, or it seems a little pointless, I don't know why they have this. Usually they're the two things of, uh, in Leviticus, the description of the tent. And you're like, how many times do I have to hear about this tent? Lots. Do you know why? There's a point. The point is, is this. You can't just approach God however you want to. There's a standard of approach. There's a process of approach. We have to understand that God is holy, that we are not, okay? And so the whole point of all of that is so you can understand that there is a policy and a procedure and a right way and a wrong way and so that we can understand that he is holy, we are not. We have to have a sacrificial system. There has to be something in between. And then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus himself said, you know, you tear this temple down in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And they thought he was talking about the, the physical temple. And eventually we know that he also did predict that the physical temple was also going to be destroyed. It, it was destroyed and it's still not there to this day, right? But the reason it's not there is because it is no longer necessary. I, I want you to spend some time, I, I, I hope, I hope that you can spend some time this afternoon meditating on this truth that the God of the universe heaven is his, is his dwelling place he says the earth is his footstool and that God has chosen by his Holy Spirit to dwell within us he uses the terminology of abiding that if we abide in him he abides in us These are all the things that the church is because this is what we are. We are a people. We are a body. We are a temple. So because the church is those things, the church should be these things. So if you're a note taker, that's the first three of the main points. Now this is the last three of the main points of their subpoints. You ready? So the church should be growing. Christians grow as we build and are built up by one another as members of the body of Christ. According to Scripture, the way we attain Christian maturity, maturity is through the church. Now, I'm going to say something that might offend somebody in this room. I don't know, and I want you to know there's no way that I could know, but I'm, I'm still going to say this, Okay. And I want for you to understand that if, if this is for you this morning, this is because of God's sovereignty, not because of my cleverness. If you can say, not if you can say, if you have said, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because I don't need the church. 
you're wrong and you're acting foolishly. And I, and I, and I love you. And you don't have to pick this church. You don't have to pick this church. And if what I just said offended you enough that you don't want to pick this church, hey, that's fine. But you need to be a part of a church. All the way back in the book of Genesis, he said it's not good for man to be alone, so he made a helper, right? And then in the New Testament, he told Peter, he told the rest of the apostles, on you I'm going to build the church. Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he assumes that you are a part of a people. The apostles, Peter, Paul, the ones who wrote the, the, the New Testament that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, talks to us as if we understand that we are a part of the church. So I stand behind my statement. Christians grow as we build and are built by other members of the body of Christ. According to scripture, the way that Christian maturity happens is through the church. You've ever heard the statement, iron sharpens iron? You know, and we, th we, we throw that around, and, we, we, and it's a great men's slogan. Us men, we love to say that. Why? And I'll tell you, here's some, here's some stupid worldly reasons why. Why? Because iron's hard, and I'm a man, and I need to be hard. Fine. Fine. That's fine. Iron sharpens iron. Do you know how? By hitting against each other all the time, Right? by a constant grading, by sparks flying. Do you understand that part? Like, let's be really clear. It can't just be a slogan on a t-shirt. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, that I'm going to annoy you, and you're going to annoy me, and let us praise the Lord for that. Amen. I'm, yeah, because that's how we grow. Christian maturity happens when I have to forgive somebody for offending me, and vice versa. Christian maturity happens when we have to serve one another, even though, you know, maybe we just, if we're honest, maybe we just don't want to. That's how it happens. Ephesians uh, 4, uh, 11 through 16 tells us this, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So where does this happen? It happens in the context of building up one another in the unity of the faith to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I didn't say it. God says it. We've got to deal with it. So, the church should be growing. Here are the ways the church should be growing. The church should be growing in works. Now, do works save us? No. But it should be a natural outcome of the love that we have for Christ that when an opportunity for us to serve as Christ would, that we ought to seize that opportunity. We ought to be growing in our faith, trusting the Lord that he's going he's to do things in his timing. And we ought to also, because of those things, we ought to be growing in number. Now, if you've attended here for any length of time, you understand that our motto is love acts. Not love the book of Acts, although fine, you can and you should. It's part of the Bible. I love Acts too, right? But love actually acts. Love is actually an action. 
It, it has to be. It, it just has to be. You, you know, I could give you an illustration or explain that point, but I'm just not going to because you, I know that you just know that that's true. So we're going to move on. And if we have these works that are driven by faith, we will grow in number. Do you know why? It's not because we're special or because we're fancy, shiny people on a hill. It's because it's genuine and it's real and people can look at that and they can say, man, there, there must be a God. And this must be true. Do you know why? Because here's a group. Now I have a, a cool vantage point of looking at all of you at the same time. You know not everybody in here is the same age? I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Do you know not everybody in here is the same gender? I don't know if you knew that either. And so here's the deal. It's wonderful when you have a group of people that are different, that are sharpening one another. And the world can look at that and can say, man, these, these people don't seem like they have a whole lot of anything in common except for this one thing. This one thing that they're always talking about, that, that they were sinners saved by grace and that, that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them and that, that because of that gift and that love from that God, they are constrained by that to then love one another even though they sometimes annoy each other. And, and then the things that they do for each other, I can't explain, I, I don't even have brothers and I don't even have blood relatives that do these things for me. Why are these people doing these things? And so, yeah, we'll grow in number because they'll see the affections that we have for one another and they'll give glory to our God. That also means that the church should be distinct. We should be different. God calls the church to be distinct from the world through our faith in the gospel and conformity to his character. And so there are some ways that the church should be distinct and that we should be distinct. And those ways uh, are written in scripture, of course. Matthew talks about this in 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall, it, uh, how shall its saltiness be restored? I, I'm, I'm going to do something that might annoy some of you guys. and I, I don't always do this, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to skip some of the scripture so that I can get to the points that I want to say, but I'm going to tell you the scriptures. So this is Matthew. So write it down. It's on you to be a Berean. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Here's, oh, good. It was the next slide. So we need to be distinct in our identities. He says we're the salt of the earth. If it lost its, if it loses its taste, how is it going to be restored? How are we to be distinct in our identity? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Do you know Jesus tells us how we can be distinct in our identity? He tells us in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Do you know what that is? Write that down. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Do you know what that is? It's the Sermon on the Mount, at least the first part of it. He says, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for those shall inherit the earth. You understand what different means, what distinctness means? You know, sometimes we, we unfortunately, there are churches out there that are no different from the world, really. I'm going to chase this rabbit for just a minute, because I can't. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. There's a, I'm sure there's a nicer word. I don't care. Here's the deal. Sometimes you've, and if you hear this on the news, there's churches that actually have like drag queen story hour up, up at, or it's led. It's drag queen church service. 
First of all, that's sinful, and they need to repent from that. But second of all, that's not distinct from the world. I can go into the world and get that stuff. So where is the distinction? We are called to be different. Matthew 5 tells us that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Show me that in the American dream, right? Blessed are those who mourn. for those who, who likes to mourn? Blessed are those who are meek. Meekness isn't good. I want to be an iron man, right? So like, how is this? It's distinct because it's the way that Christ has asked us to be. I can't remember if it was at Maranatha or not, but somebody said something about they had a t-shirt. Not that everything that we believe in distinction should be on our t-shirts all the time. It should be a lifestyle, but sometimes things are fun on t-shirts or whatever, I guess. So, uh, it was something about the idea like I am third, right? So like he is first, the rest of the body is second, and then I am third. Was that a Maranatha? I don't remember that. Was that a dream? Anyway. <laughs> was that church last week? Well, I got something out of it then. So that was good. <laughs> uh, distinction is sometimes hard to practice though, isn't it? Because it's going to put a target on our back. It's going to make us look weird. This is for everybody who's in this room right now who's still in school of some sort. Okay? This is for you. I know a lot of times I just kind of talk to like everybody or mainly you feel like it's just for adults. This is about to be for you right now. Okay? If you're still in school, that's one of the hardest places to be distinct. You know why? Because people are going to think you're weird or lame. But as an adult who has spent time not being distinct and then living a life now where I carry that non-distinctness regret, I want to guarantee you that it is worth being distinct. Because Christ called you to that and there is joy and satisfaction in knowing that you were when it was hard. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Men and women, if you're an employee, sometimes it's still hard. Sometimes it's hard to be distinct because people say things. We have family members that say things. We have friends that say things. Or if you're into it, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you see that kind of stuff on there. Let me just give you a, a private press. Don't just let your distinction, don't just let your distinction be through posts. That's garbage. Let your distinction be through real world life. Practice it. And it's going to be hard. Jesus said that. He said, pick up your cross and follow me, not grab your cotton candy stick. Distinction is not perfection, but repentance. We also have to understand that, right? Because maybe, maybe you grew up in a church or maybe you were hearing from me and I want to be very clear. I don't mean, hey, I'm perfect. Model your life after me because I never sin and that's, I'm, then I'm just awesome. No. But I hope that as I grow, as iron truly is sharpening iron, I hope that those those burrs are eventually scraped away, and by God's grace, he is continuing to give me and make me have a repentant heart so that I can continue to practice this distinction. And I hope that those who know me best see that in me as I grow. 
That's the other reason why you need to be part of a church, by the way. So you have people that can see that in you. Stealing my thunder, little guy. (laughs) So lastly, as we close, this may not be a surprise to you, but the church should glorify God. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That's what all this is for. All of this boils down to this. God deserves glory. He deserves our praise. He deserves our lives. He deserves our finances. He deserves our freedom. He deserves our physical abilities. He, he deserves our mental and our emotional assent and, and understanding. I know we're 2.30 over. God calls the church to display his glory to the world by reflecting his character. The church is central in God's saving purpose because it is the place where he causes his name to be made known and his glory to be put on display. Isn't that glorious? Again, the God who slung the stars into the heavens, who created quasars, everything from quasars to the amoeba that you have to have a microscope to see in the Petri dish. And that God makes his glory known through us, through you and me, through our relationships that we have with one another and how we practice those relationships distinctly from the world around us and share that salt and light with those who need to hear it. And what we see in there is that we, we display his wisdom. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11 says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see a group of people that are get together with nothing in common other than Christ seems weird and foolish to the world, but it really, it just reveals God's wisdom. It also displays his oneness that he can take a bunch of broken pieces of pottery and create a beautiful mosaic. John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that amazing? Thirdly, to display his love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the church It is a body, it is a temple, it is a people, and the fragrance that we give off as a collective group should be so absolutely attractive to the world. Now, Scripture does tell us that the fragrance that we give when we live out for Christ is either a fragrance of death to the dying, and therefore persecution will come, or fragrance of life to the living, and therefore salvations will come. We praise God for both because it reveals his good plan for his creation. 
The church is not a place. It's not a building. It's not a preaching point. It's, it's not a spiritual service provider. It's a people. The new covenant blood-bought people of God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let us also give ourselves up for him. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us in giving us the gift of the church, how we can have the fellowship of the saints, how we can be brothers and sisters one with another, how you have made a place and a people for us to grow in you, growing in Christ's likeness, that we might give you glory and honor and praise and that our lives may count towards you. We pray, Lord, for all of these who are gathered here. If they're gathered here today to celebrate baptism for a loved one, that when they go home, that they would have a newfound honor, respect, and love for their church. And if they don't have a church, Lord, we pray that they might be blessed by finding one soon so they could experience the oneness, the unity, the fellowship that you have designed for the church to possess. We thank you for Elegant Bible Church, for the work that you're doing here and the people that make it up. It's in your name and for your glory we do pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.